Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. There is so much that I wanted to talk about last week, but Cicely Tyson passed away. I know this podcast is Ratchet and Respectable, but I try to have some class when I'm discussing subjects. And also some of the things I wanted to talk about were just a good kiki. And I really wasn't in a kiki mood after hearing about Cicely Tyson's passing. But I am in a kiki mood today. And there's much, much, much to discuss. One of the things that I wanted to mention last week was my partnership with Pantene. I've been hinting at this for a good month now. Back in October, I think, late October, early November, I was in Atlanta. Some folks were like, oh my God, you're gallivanting. No, I was in town for work. I had a photo shoot for a national ad campaign. Thanks. But I went down to Atlanta to do this amazing shoot with the Pantene team. And shout out to Burrell Communications who put this whole thing together. I've worked with Pantene before. I had a TV commercial with them that was running on BET. I was doing recaps of being Mary Jane and Pantene was a sponsor. But I've used Pantene since I was in college I ran out of whatever conditioner I was using at the time. I asked my sweet mate if I could use her conditioner to hold me over, and she used Pantene. So I tried it for the first time, and I was able to get a comb through my 3C, 4A hair without much effort. And I was like, oh, this is some good stuff. And this is back in 2000. I've had natural hair on and off since 96. When my career first started taking off, I had a perm, but... But that was a two-year stretch. The cover of my first book in 2011, I still had a perm. But I've actually been natural more often than not. My senior year of high school, I saw a Junior Mafia video. Little Kim was in the back of a limousine. She had short, curly hair. Today, we'd call it a TWA, a teeny-weeny afro. But Little Kim had natural hair. I thought she was so beautiful. I went to my hairdresser, and I was like, what do I need to put in my hair for it to do this? And so she was like... Nothing. You just need to stop permanent. And I was like, oh, okay. Then cut all my hair off. Just like that. So my pictures from senior year of high school, I have a TWA. But I've gone off and on over the years, like from a TWA to like a jet black, a bone straight jet black weave down to my bra strap, back to an afro. But my most consistent hairstyle is either a Caesar or big curly hair. And I've had big poofy hair for a minute now. I think y'all about to see a Caesar again sometime soon. I've been saying I was going to cut it off forever in a day. I might actually do it this time. But that is part of my hair journey. It's a really long story. But I'm really happy to be the 2021 Pantene Gold Series Ambassador. So the partnership debuted in Essence. There was an ad in the January-February issue. But you'll see that ad around in other places. And beginning in February, this month, because it's February, you'll start hearing ads on the radios, which I expect you'll recognize my voice. And actually, I'm positive you will. Sidebar, I remember when I was on Bravo, the first season was still airing. I was shopping with my mom and this woman came around the corner and she said, are you the girl from that show? Because nobody remembered my name and nobody remembered the name of the show. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, your voice is so distinct. She was like, as soon as I heard it, I was like, that's that girl from that show. (laughs) Black people. But I'm really excited about that. It's my first Not my first time on radio, but it's my first radio ad. I got my first offer to be in SAG based off that ad, too, which I was really pleased with. I was like, oh, Screen Actors Guild. That means I can vote for the award show. It's all quite exciting. In other news, the Don't Waste Your Pretty merch goes on sale on Wednesday, February 3rd at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I do the drops late in the day. Because you all work or you're entrepreneurs and you're also working during the day. So I do my drops after work hours. So everyone has a chance to get off their Zoom calls and maybe get dinner made and maybe settle in before they go shopping online. So so I'm doing this drop in parts. The first drop is the hoodies. There are five different options. There are reds. There are pinks. There's red with pink, pink with red, white with gold, which is technically iridescent, but it looks like gold in person and in photos. When I was playing with the designs for this merch, I posted the red and pink in stories and the ladies of Delta Sigma Theta and Alpha Kappa Alpha hit me up and was like, sis, you know you're not going to have no red hoodies and not give us crimson and cream or pink and green, respectively. Stop playing. 
And I was like, really, it's supposed to be a Valentine's Day drop, not a BGLO drop. And I was like, I don't have blue hoodies available to do blue and white and blue and gold for the Zetas or SG Row. So I was like, I don't know. I don't know. And they were like, sis, trust us. So because I had the red and pink on hand, I was like, well, let me play with the colors and see what works. Um, It works. So there are pink and green hoodies and crimson and cream as well. So that is the drop that's happening on Wednesday. There are two more items coming. They may be available Wednesday. I haven't decided yet. I'm still working out some back-end issues. So we'll see. Um, But all of it will be available on DemetriaLLucas.com on Wednesday, February 3rd at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And there's also Ratchet and Respectable merch as well. It's currently small sizes. The line initially ran from an extra small to a 4X, but everything but the extra smalls are sold out now. So what do we have on today's agenda? Oh, I wanted to talk about my young girls, Chloe Bailey and Jordan Woods. Jordan is on her way to becoming a one-name person. She dropped a Busset Challenge video. That girl, beautiful girl. She dropped a Busset Challenge video. That was a lot of ass shaking. A lot of ass. Now, some folks were like, is it real? I was like, it moves like it's real. If it ain't real, that's a good surgeon. Toss up that number. Some folks were like, it's a fat transfer. I don't care where it came from. Her ass, literally her ass looked amazing. Good for her. She's a cute young girl. Chloe Bailey from Chloe and Hallie. We've watched her and her sister. We've watched them grow up. I think they're 22 and 18 now. They're, they're adult women. But Chloe, over the years, has, I think the appropriate word might be blossomed. She used to look like a young girl. She's no longer a young girl. She's a 22-year-old young woman. And she's stacked. But she, she dropped a video too. And I was like, oh, okay, young girl shaking. I saw some folks that were like, oh my God, this is so distasteful. What's wrong with these young girls? The same thing that's been wrong with young girls since time immemorial. They ain't had embodies five years ago. They just got them. They knew. They're taking them out for a test drive. They're 22-year-old girls. This has always been what 22-year-old girls do. Especially when they're hot, they show off their hotness. You did it at 22. I did it at 22. Don't be mad because you don't have your 22-year-old body. You had your time. These young girls have their time too. Let them enjoy it the same way you did. See people on the internet that I used to be at the clubs with. Ma'am, you wasn't two-stepping in the clubs. We sipped a lot. We danced a lot. Sometimes it was respectable. Sometimes it was not. The only difference between us and them is they got phones with cameras and good Wi-Fi. They're young and hot with strong Wi-Fi. Let them girls be. I saw Chloe also did a little silhouette video. Very sexy. It kind of looked like, a, um, what's that song Beyonce did? Take all of me. Just want to be the girl you like. Excuse my singing. It's early in the morning. My voice ain't cleared up. It was a cute little silhouette video. It was sexy as shit. And I was like, all right, young Chloe, bent over and humping the floor. You couldn't see anything except the silhouette. It was very tasteful. Folks had a fit. Like, I know we watched her grow up, but she grown now, y'all. She young grown, but she grown. She want to shake it fast. Because at 22, I was literally shaking it fast to mystical shake it fast. Folks out here having conniptions. And poor Chloe, y'all done made that young girl cry. I was reading on the griot that somebody said that she's trying to do this good girl gone bad as a marketing stunt. And they were like, Janet Jackson did it first. And I was like, you know what? Comparing a 22-year-old singer to Janet Jackson ain't a bad comparison. I mean, Janet did okay for herself, no? I'm just saying. And Chloe can sing her ass off too. But Chloe did an Instagram message with tears in her eyes and her little voice cracking. She said, quote, for every woman out there, don't change who you are to make society feel comfortable. And I'm telling myself that's not what I'm going to do. And even when I posted the video yesterday, and this was a video, she was in her room. She had on a T-shirt and some underwear. And she was, I think, burning incense or whatever. But you saw some side booty. And then she was dancing in her little underwear. She had on a T-shirt. And it was full underwear. It wasn't even a thong. And I was like, as far as Instagram goes, the girl was dressed like a nun. You know how many naked asses I've seen on Instagram or women gyrating in string bikinis? The girl had on a whole t-shirt and some drawers. Now, would I like my 22-year-old daughter doing that? Perhaps not. But Chloe ate my 22-year-old daughter. And if I had a 22-year-old, she'd be grown. As her mother, I'd be like, girl. But if some random woman on the internet, bah. 
So Chloe went on. She said, I want you guys to kind of get to know who I am inside. And it's really hard for me to think of myself as a sexual being or an attractive being, quite frankly. So when I see all the uproar about my posts and stuff, I'm a bit confused. Like I really don't understand because I've never seen myself in that way or in that light. That's not a surprising take. Like I said, she didn't have that body five years ago. She didn't have that body three years ago. It's new. She's growing into her womanhood. Leave that young girl alone. Let her process herself. You discovered you, or I hope you did. Let that young girl figure out herself. Poor baby. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Speaking of young girls who aren't really given a chance to figure themselves out, can we talk about this Wendy Williams biopic? We're going to talk about the biopic and the the documentary separately. There was so much going on there. Lifetime gave us four hours of Wendy Williams last night, which is a lot of Wendy. It's a lot of Wendy, but it was riveting television. The biopic and the documentary covered a lot of the same terrain. I didn't necessarily think there needed to be both, but I was equally entertained and horrified. So the biopic, it was good. Lifetime is so damn inconsistent with his programming. They also gave us the Clark Sisters, which was phenomenal television. Like, that could have gone on HBO, which is the gold standard for good TV. Amazing. And then they gave us Salt and Pepper, which wasn't horrific, but also wasn't that good. Like, you gave me the Clark Sisters, so I'm like, oh, okay, this is where we're going. We talked about this in a previous episode. But then you gave me Salt and Pepper, and I was like, oh, we back here? And then they gave us Wendy, which is somewhere between the Clark sisters and Salt and Pepper. Like, it's not the Clark sisters. And it had a way bigger budget than Salt and Pepper because the wigs. We talked about how TV is a visual medium. Like, the hair in film says so much. We make so many determinations about the budget of a film based on how they got the hair. But the hair in the Wendy movie, the wigs on the actress, were amazing. I was like, you know what? Whoever did these wigs for the movie, I want them to do Wendy's wigs in real life. Wendy, I like Wendy. I like Wendy. Wendy's wigs are sometimes... I, I want the best for Wendy. I want the best for Wendy. The actress who played Wendy was really, really good. She got the, um, the spastic, for lack of a better word, the spasticness of Wendy. She, got, she nailed that. Most of the craziest parts of the film, I think we knew about. Wendy's either talked about them for years or they've been highly publicized in media about Wendy. But there were some interesting revelations for people who are not Wendy devotees. Like her situation with Eric B, who was a total fuckboy. Like as soon as he asked to borrow her car and she was like, I need it back by five. I was like, oh, he's not bringing that car back because he didn't have a car. She got him a rental, which he didn't return and ruined her credit. Wendy did crack, which... Seven minutes into the film, Wendy is doing cocaine. And I was like, oh, this is the kind of ride we're going on. She's also freebasing in the film. I thought she was doing crack. I- I've never done either, so I'm not really that familiar. I saw her lighting cocaine, and I was like, oh, crack. And people were like, no, 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 that's not how it works. Crack is actual the rock. If you're just lighting cocaine, that's freebasing. I thought it was crack, and so I looked it up, because I was like, if you're going to say somebody smoked crack, like, that's a big accusation. 
But I looked it up and Wendy was like, yeah, I did crack. It wasn't really my thing though. I was more into just straight Coke. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Wendy has lived, which we knew, but I didn't know she lived that much. I was like, oh, okay, Wendy. I'm glad you kicked that habit. The Coke and the crack. I was surprised by her hustle. I know Wendy's been on radio for a really long time. In no way did I underestimate how difficult being in radio is for a black woman. It's, it's a challenge to be at the top of your game anywhere as a black woman. But the idea of her moving from city to city and working two jobs at once, pregnant on bed rest and still taping a show every day. She's got an unbelievable hustle, which I don't think is talked about enough. There's so many other things. But I think her hustle should be equally as discussed as maybe her messiness. There's a lot of messy, yes, but there's also a lot of get up and get it to her too, which I appreciated. The one critique that I had about the film, and maybe this is more so a critique about the documentary, maybe both, I'm not sure. But so much of the story for both the film and the documentary were about the messy relationship she had with her husband. In the film, the very early part is about her childhood and then her hustle and working in radio. But as soon as she meets her husband, their relationship and the ups and downs of it overwhelm the storyline. But despite all the shit that she was dealing with in her marriage, she was still showing up to work every day, giving 100%, which you got to appreciate because there's another type of woman who rightfully no judgment, who rightfully would have fallen apart given all that was going on behind the scenes. And Wendy kept showing up every day, which I respect. I did wish there was a little bit more about her work. That's not necessarily a criticism. It's just an observation. Surprisingly, I like the love story with her husband, at least the beginnings of it. And I think it's a, a gracious portrayal of her husband. Um, their marriage ended quite terribly. She still portrayed their early love story as him, as him being a, a great guy. Not even good. He was great. Um, she easily could have vilified him and everybody would have understood. She was very gracious, which I respect because even though things don't end well with people, like you ended up with them because at one point it was good because if it wasn't good in the beginning, then you wouldn't have been with them. But their little love was so cute. And right after they had a baby, after multiple miscarriages, or stillborn births, which, like I said, there's another type of woman who would have rightfully crumbled. But she gained 100 pounds. It was on bed rest for her entire pregnancy because the doctor told her she had a weak uterus. She gained 100 pounds and was laid up so that she could, you know, produce a child, only to find out that her husband had been cheating on her and was like, we haven't slept together in a year. Well, she hasn't slept with you in a year either because she was growing a whole human in her body. And I kind of wondered then. I was like, why didn't she go then? But then she talked about it in the documentary. She was like, I wanted this baby. I've got this whole baby. And she was like, I don't know what to do with this baby. I can't do this by myself. Like, you need to be here. So that was when she says. That was the first time that she found out about him cheating. But that wasn't with the woman who he was with for 16 years. The woman he was with for 16 years, Wendy knew about early on. She just didn't know the degree of their involvement, as it's portrayed in the film, one of his friends gives her a heads up that her husband and this woman are living together in a house. She thought the woman might have been coming through to fuck in the condo. And she was like, a whole house? Nine miles from my house? So when Wendy goes over to the house, she glues the mailbox shut and spray paints Wendy loves Kevin, Kevin loves Wendy, something like that on their garage door. Which I was like, huh? I mean, I guess you never really know what you'll do when you find out that your husband has bought a woman a whole house with the money that you've earned. I mean, he was her manager, but like, what did he really do? Seriously. He was security so she could run her mouth and not get fucked up, which is important. But there's also people you could pay for that. Like, you didn't have to marry him for that. But he bought that woman a whole house. So Wendy goes over to the house. She does what she does. And I was really surprised by that. Because I was like, that's very... I don't know. I feel like that's something you do as a teenager. Or something you do, like, in your early 20s. But, like, I have a whole life with you. I got a whole baby with you. And I find out you bought somebody a house? I've had bigger reactions to fuckery for far less offenses. But that's me. I mean, I'm not saying she should have, I mean, I did say in a review 
that she should have gone Angela Bassett on the car or left eye on the house. I mean, I was mostly joking, like 75%. But I was like, you glued his mailbox shut? I was like, that's some issue, dude, like when a boy breaks your heart in high school. Mm. She better than me. Somebody pointed out and they were like, yeah, she didn't want to leave him. She wanted to get his attention. Like if she burnt the house down or set the car on fire, like that would have been like too much. That would have really pissed him off. She didn't want to make him mad. She wanted to get his attention. And I was like, I mean, I, I guess. One thing I did find interesting. So Wendy initially said that she didn't know anything about her husband's affair. When the story broke in the British tabloids, they followed Kevin and his mistress around for, I want to say like a year. They had pictures, they had detailed documentation, and they were like, oh no, they go to the gym and work out together. They go to restaurants, their names are on the mailbox. He has a whole separate family life with this woman. But Wendy at first said she didn't know, and she said she was standing by her man. She held up her hand with her her giant rock on it. Wendy been known. She said the woman drove to her house and did a K-turn in the driveway. And at some point she got out, Wendy recognized her and Wendy saw her belly. And so the woman wanted Wendy to know she was pregnant. And that's how Wendy says that she found out. I think that was in the documentary. And I was like, oh girl, I don't believe in fighting. And I definitely don't believe in fighting pregnant women. Some people deserve to have their ass beat. You're a whole mistress driving to the wife's house. To show off your belly? Ma'am, you wanted to have your ass beat. You wanted that. You asked for that. Like I said, Wendy's a better woman than me. And I'm not a fighting girl. I didn't grow up hard. I'm from the suburbs. Like, but girl, that's a lot. I think everything else in the film, we kind of knew. And I thought again, watching Wendy's film, the same thing that I thought watching the Clark sisters, Salt and Pepper. Literally every biopic about a woman except Lady Sings the Blues. All these ambitious women all dealing with fuckery for men. And I still wonder what they could be, what they could accomplish, what joy they could have had if they had men in their lives who weren't causing them constant embarrassment, constant pain, constant hurt, constant suffering, constant insecurity. What could they have been? I mean, Wendy's amazing. Salt and Pepper, amazing. Clark Sisters, amazing. But they all got to where they were despite the bullshit that they dealt with, largely for men. And this is not something that applies to women in biopics. It's something that applies to women across the board. One of the reasons that Wendy is so relatable now, because she wasn't so much before all this mess happened, a lot of people have been through bullshit with their partners and their spouses. Like Wendy used to be like, I mean, you watch the show, but Wendy was reviled. A lot of people just did not like her. And then after this stuff with her husband, people were like, oh, Wendy, because they knew what she was going through. They'd been through it too. Everything up to and including my husband had a baby with another woman. When I was doing Ask Demetria, that question came up every other week. I'm dating this guy. He got this other woman pregnant. I'm engaged. I just found out he had a kid he didn't tell me about. I'm married and I just found out my husband had a baby with his ex while we were married. It's, it's surprisingly frequent. So about this documentary, this windy documentary, I watched it. I'm, I'm going to sound like a hypocrite because... I watched the whole thing, and within the first four or five minutes, I was like, they probably shouldn't have filmed this at this time. Wendy was not emotionally well at the time that that was filmed. And I said this online, and I'll say it again because I really can't think of a better comparison. I remember watching Lauryn Hill Unplugged when it came out, and I love that album. People paying that album, but I love that album. I can still quote you most of the lyrics. But I was like, Lauryn Hill's not well. Like, if you listen to the lyrics, if you look at her demeanor, she's not well. And someone who genuinely cared about her should have said, we need to take this at another time. You need to go and and process whatever it is that you're going through and find healing and deal with that. You do not need to be in front of cameras right now. My very, very good friend, when I was in the thick of my divorce, like I was trying to fill my voids with work, which has always been a shortcoming of mine and Wendy's. But a very good friend was like, sit down, like stop, sort yourself out. You went home because you needed a break. Take a break. And I wish someone had said that to Lauren Hill. If for nothing else, I feel like we might have got another album out of her if she hadn't just pushed and pushed until she hit the wall and either never was able or never wanted to come back.
But I feel like the same thing with Wendy. It's like the emotional space that she was in when this documentary was filmed. I feel like it was, I've got to control the narrative. This horrible thing has happened to me. How can I capitalize on it? How can I fix my reputation? So the film is one thing. She doesn't have to be directly involved in that. It says executive producer. There are varying degrees of involvement with an executive producer. You can be very hands-on or you can be very, my name is just on it because it's a story about me. The documentary, she wasn't okay. Literally, in like the first two minutes of the documentary, they say, could you tell us your name and who you are? And she starts crying. She can't even say her name without crying. And I was like, who okayed this? I totally get why producers wanted to have her on camera. It's good TV. It's riveting. It's a train wreck. I'm saying that I don't think the woman is well, but I sat there and watched the whole thing because I couldn't look away. I'm participating in the exploitation. But like, I wish someone would just hug her. Like she couldn't make it two sentences without crying. It's not that I don't want her to tell her story. It's not that I'm uncomfortable seeing people in pain. I just don't like seeing people exploited in that way. She was gut hurt. And that's not something that you need to give to the public. There are people who say that like, oh, you know, in telling her story in that raw moment, like maybe she helps somebody, perhaps. But there's another very nasty, terrible side to people and they see you at your lowest. Some people will be like, you know what? I don't kick people when they're down. There are other people who rush to jump you. I wish she had waited a good year to do that documentary. And it, it's, it's always going to be a painful story. Like you're with someone for 21 years. You endure all that you endured with them. And then they have this mass, and then they, and then this massive betrayal. It's always going to hurt. But I think she would have been a little more, less angry, less bitter, rightfully bitter. No judgment on the bitter, rightfully bitter. But I think she would have had a more cohesive. I also don't think a documentary about Wendy should be all about her husband. I know that's the big drama of her life, but there was a whole film about that. I feel like a documentary about Wendy Williams should actually be about Wendy Williams. And yes, her husband is a part of that story, but he became like the whole story. And there's so much more to her as a woman than him. If if nothing else, there's the job. Like she's done radio, she's done TV, she's done books, she's done films. She's always doing something. Like, tell me about that. I'm far more interested in that than I am spending a whole film and a whole documentary also talking about him. Mm. We also need to talk about Wendy's parents. Early in the film, it's not the opener of the film, but the story really begins with an 11-year-old Wendy, and she's a chubby girl, which we knew. Wendy showed a picture of herself as a kid a few years ago, and I remember people kept photoshopping her into Pablo Escobar. I'm just going to leave that at that. Um, She was a husky girl. It's a chubby kid. It's okay. In the film, her parents are pretty awful about her weight. They've got her on a tuna and mustard diet. Her mom is complaining that she keeps growing out of her clothes. Her mother comes across as very judgmental and focused on appearances. Whatever appearance that she wants to give, Wendy doesn't fit it. And so the way life plays out is not always quite dramatic enough to keep people engaged for a film. TV and film are often heightened reality. That just is what it is. I thought her parents couldn't be that bad. And then her parents appeared in the documentary and they were chuckling basically about how terribly they treated their daughter. Her mother, in describing Wendy's childhood, sums it up to, yeah, she was an overweight kid. She always had an issue with her weight. And I was like, that's your summation of your kid? And then she confirms like, yeah, we had her on a tuna fish and mustard diet. And and then she and the dad laugh. And then they talked about how they would weigh her all the time and that Wendy had these tricks to try to get the scale to go down. And then they laugh about that. And I was like, you had your daughter on a tuna fish and mustard diet. We're constantly weighing her and complaining about her weight. You constantly made your kid feel inadequate. And I'm sure it didn't begin and end with the weight. It's kind of implied that Wendy has like a bunch of personality and her parents don't like that. So I'm sure making her feel inadequate wasn't just about her size. It was also about her demeanor as well. But like there seems to be no connection between I've made my child feel emotionally depleted and she's filling the void with food. And maybe that's because, you know, old school parenting, like they don't make correlations like that. Like I've had to have some conversations with my parents about how I was parented, and some things that were just disasters that had really negative effects on me. 
I had a conversation with my mom recently about something and I was just like, you have no sensitivity chip. She, she acknowledged and apologized. So I've moved on, but mom, I think everyone has grievances with their parents, but I hope it's not as bad as what was displayed by Wendy. After seeing maybe a total of five minutes of clips with her parents, I was like, oh, okay, this explains everything. Your brother accused you of not going to the funeral. Wendy's rebuttal was that she did go, kind of. It sounds like she went to the wake, but not the funeral. But I was like, oh, okay, that's why you didn't go. All right, that makes sense. You got unresolved issues with your mama, and I see them on full display. I totally get why she wouldn't show up to the funeral of someone who made her feel inadequate her whole life. Wendy's plastic surgery, the gigantic boobs, the real thin frame. She's had lipo a few times, which she's talked about. If my parents shitted on me my whole childhood about my size, yeah, I'd probably have some body dysmorphia issues too. Oh, that makes sense. You knew your kid was getting bullied at school, and then you basically bullied your kid at home, and you praise her for never having any feelings about it, so then it must be okay. Does anyone now wonder how she grew up to tell people's business and hurt their feelings and feels no type of way about it? No one cared about hers. How was she supposed to learn to care about other people's? When I was 21, my first year in grad school, I was interning at One World Magazine. And one of the first big interviews I did was for Wendy Williams. And they sent me up to the radio station. I think I told this story before. If not, I'll keep it brief. But I asked Wendy, I said, Wendy, why you be telling these people's business like this? Why you always talking about people, Wendy? And she was like, oh, because it's lucrative. There, there is no malice. She's not trying to hurt people's feelings. I mean, if their feelings get hurt, okay, but that's not her job. She's just trying to earn a check. That's it. She had absolutely no feelings about it whatsoever. No hard feelings. She wasn't out to get anybody. It just was what it was. She knew your business, so she talked it. And that's that. Her parents did a number on her. Speaking of people whose business she put out there, years ago, Wendy got on the radio and told the entire listening audience that Method Man's wife had breast cancer. Method Man's wife hadn't told her friends or family. It's something that she wanted to keep to herself, which her body, her choice. Okay, somebody knew and somebody told Wendy and Wendy went and told the entire listening audience. Right before the film was released, Wendy did an interview where she talked about her one night stand with Method Man. According to her, they connected after a fight broke out at a club. I'm reading from Showbiz Cheat Sheet, and they said Method Man invited Williams to, quote, smoke marijuana with him. Wendy says he asked if he could go to her penthouse with her in Jersey City, and she proceeded to give him a bath in her jacuzzi tub. This was, this was likely before 97. Wendy got married in 1997, and Meth has been married since 2001. I knew he was married. I didn't realize he'd been married that long. It's a lucky woman. Meth is fine as shit. Two single people having sex is not really news at 11 to me. But people were like, Wendy and meth? Wendy was cute. This isn't really that shocking to me. But it is kind of shocking that like someone that you slept with, even if it was a one night stand, like she doesn't say he dogged her out or anything. You had an intimate experience with him. Like you know him in the biblical sense. And then you get on the radio and blast that his wife has breast cancer? It's not like they're involved in a scandal of some sort. Like she has a health issue. Wendy. But Wendy popped up again talking about Method Man, and he's not even in the film. That was just a story she decided to share randomly when she was doing an interview with DJ Sus One. Until today, I did not know Method Man's wife's name. I knew nothing about her. And all I know today is her name is Tamika Smith, and she is fucking over Wendy Williams. So Wendy talked about Meth, and Meth's wife has some choice words. For Wendy, she posted this on her Instagram page, a statement from Tamika Smith, comma, wife of Method Man, because she never been in the spotlight, didn't want to be evidently. I'm going to read it in its entirety because it's a good read, literally and figuratively. For years, I kept my silence while Wendy Williams launched constant verbal attacks against my husband, myself, and our family. In the past, I ignored her lies, innuendos, and blatant attempts to provoke us. But Wendy has proven again and again that she is incapable of any decency. Her obsession with our lives has reached a new low, and I'm tired of taking the high road. In an obvious attempt to increase ratings for her sad biopic, her struggling TV show, and her burnt-out career, Wendy has once again targeted my husband. 
It's a pattern that she has repeated for years. When I was diagnosed with cancer years ago, Wendy shared my personal medical information with her listeners live on the air during her radio broadcast. She didn't care that she was violating my right to privacy or that I hadn't shared news of my diagnosis with my family and friends yet. She never apologized, never expressed any regret whatsoever. Despite my anger, I chose not to respond publicly to her unhealthy fixation with my husband and our marriage. It was clear that she was sick and that she was struggling with a lot of issues, including self-hate and low self-esteem. Over the years, those issues have made her increasingly ugly, both inside and out. And no amount of plastic surgery can fix the ugliness inside her. Instead of using her platform to uplift women, she has spent her career attacking marriages while her own fell apart. She criticized celebrities battling addictions despite her own struggles with substance abuse. There's no limit to how low she will go in the name of making headlines. Tamika's not done. Tamika's almost done, but Tamika's not done. Tamika continues. Her career is on life support. Her husband has abandoned her and the ratings for all of her projects are down. She's desperate for attention and is trying to use my husband's popularity as a way to get her name trending. How sad that a woman who was once revered in the entertainment industry has reduced herself to a tabloid side note and circus freak. For the record, my marriage is solid. My husband continues to enjoy a successful career and Wendy will forever be one of the most miserable bitches on the planet. That's a read. That's a read. So let's move on. We've talked a lot about Wendy. Let's move on. I want to talk about T.I. and Tiny. I wanted to talk about them last week, but did not because one, Cicely Tyson had passed away. And two, the story about their, not their sexcapades, because the sex the sexcapades is not the interesting part. Consenting adults, even married ones who are having consensual sex with other consenting adults, Again, not news at 11. Everyone's an adult. Everyone's consenting. And in this instance, everyone's informed of what's going on because the husband and the wife are participating in the sex with the other people together. All consensual. There's no scandal here. And plus, there's been rumors about T.I. and Tiny and their sexcapades for years. If you live in Atlanta or you know people that live in Atlanta because I've never lived in Atlanta, it's a common story. And then Rob Kardashian made it national a few years ago. He talked about T.I. and Tiny paying China to sleep with them. So that's not the interesting part. Last week on Thursday, when I recorded this podcast, neither T.I. nor Tiny had responded to accusations that they were drugging women and holding them hostage and having sex with them, i.e. kidnapping and rape. After the podcast went up on Friday, T.I. released an eight-minute video denying the accusations against he and his wife. Now, I don't know what's what. We're going to talk about some of the accusations. And I'm going to tread real carefully on this because these are damning allegations. It's one thing to be like, oh, you and your wife are swingers. Like, it is what it is. But accusing people of kidnapping and rape is serious. Those are serious offenses. Those are very serious offenses. I will say this, though. T.I. <laughs> walking around in the woods with uncombed hair. I was like, sir, you look like a predator. I'm not saying you are a predator. I'm just saying when you are trying to convey to people that you are not a raping predator kidnapper, you may not want to play into all the stereotypes of what, <laughs> of what a predator kidnapper rapist looks like. Like, what's the dude's name? Silence of the Lambs. When he got the chubby girl and was trying to shrink her down so he could wear her skin. Wasn't he up in the woods? There are publicists for a reason. You got to let publicists do publicity. You got to let crisis managers handle a crisis. And this is a crisis. I was like, sir, get out them goddamn woods. You are not helping yourself. Let's find this story. The story's in People Magazine. I was like, oh. Sabrina Pearson, once a friend of the couple... She alleges that T.I. and Tiny, both of them, would force women to take drugs and have sex with them and that T.I. had once held a gun to her head. Now, I'm going to repeat this again because I'm not trying to get sued. T.I. and Tiny, via their publicist, quote, emphatically deny in the strongest way possible the egregiously T.I. wrote this shit. (laughs) 
egregiously appalling allegations being made against them by Sabrina Peterson. I'm sorry, I'm laughing. No actual publicist would write that shit. Emphatically deny egregiously appalling allegations. Why he love to use all them big words all together? Pace them out, man. Pace them out. Let's continue the statement. The Harrises have had difficulty with this woman for well over a decade. The couple is taking this matter very seriously. And if these allegations don't end, they will take appropriate legal action. Tiny defended her husband on the shade room. She asked Peterson to, quote, stop harassing her family. And she said that Peterson once asked T.I. to, quote, and unquote, train her sons. The harassment that Tiny refers to in the allegations that are referred to in the press release that T.I. totally wrote is Sabrina Peterson, the woman I mentioned before. She spent a good portion of last week sharing alleged text messages from nearly 25 alleged victims. I'm going to overuse that word because, again, I'm not trying to be sued. Claiming that T.I. and Tiny had allegedly abused them. Let's see what some of those women had to say. These accusations are, are horrific. This woman says, in 2016, I went to their suite at the Ritz and they locked everyone's phones up, passed around Molly Coke and said the only people who could stay had to take their pants off. I was lucky because my homeboy was there, part of the entourage, and he pulled me into another room. He told Tip she good, meaning don't bother her. I watched Tip drag girls back and forth from the bedroom to the bathroom to the living room. One girl was crying because she wanted to leave, but they refused to give her her phone to call an Uber. At one point, he came out the room and asked his security to come, quote, pick this bitch up off the bed because the girl was too fucked up to even walk. They carried her from the bedroom to the bathtub and left her there. I snuck in the bathroom to make sure the girl was okay and she was almost unconscious. I'm a nurse, so I checked her pulse, which was barely there, and she was sweating, shivering. I left that night five years ago and it still haunts me to this day, wondering what happened to those girls and if I could have done anything to stop it or help them. He is an absolute monster who uses money and power to manipulate people and Tiny is his secret weapon. There's another message that Peterson says she received. It reads, hi, I'm writing to you from a fake page because I don't want my friend upset with me, but I know for a fact, all caps, that you were telling the truth. I lived in Atlanta from 2017 to 2019. I moved there with a friend. She met T.I. and Tiny at a club one night, and they wanted her to come spend time with them for a fee. They forced her to do coke and take mollies and tried to have a threesome. Tiny would do most of the talking. She was very upfront and kind of rude. Something ended up going wrong, and my friend got into it with them. They threatened to kill her if she ever spoke about it. She still lives in Atlanta now, so I would never want to put her in danger. But everybody can't be telling the same lie. One more, the last one. I'm scared to speak my truth. I met them at 20, was kind of flattered they wanted me, but it was Tiny who sent someone to me. They had so many drugs. I took it like a jackass and they wouldn't stop. I witnessed her have sex with other celebrity men, women, all ages. I watched him beat her. They throw money to keep you quiet. After he's through with you, she wants him to herself. Everybody around thinks it's normal. Porn, the sex toys, drugs, alcohol, underage, I've literally warned younger girls to run before they even enter. The devil is definitely present in those orgies. The goal is to suck the innocence out of you. To see him so protective over his daughter sickens me. I left never being the same. My connection with God allowed me to escape and stay aware. Those are damning accusations. That's a lot. And again... You and your wife want to be swingers, you want to do threesomes, you want to do foursomes, you want to have orgies, that's your business. No judgment. The drugs, underage girls, rape, kidnapping, holding folks against their will. That's a lot. T.I. posted on his page, he posted a screenshot of a woman who said that she wrote in to Sabrina just for clout. And she was clowning Sabrina for posting the story. And she said, I just wrote in to see if she would actually post it. And she was like, I made all that shit up. It sounded really convincing, huh? He was trying to imply that either Sabrina's making this shit up or random women or men are just texting her anything and she's posting it with no fact checking and no credibility. Um, so this is all someone essentially harassment, trying to create a scandal where there is none. I don't know what to think. In the vast majority of cases where someone is accused of rape, 
kidnapping, harm against women, I tend to believe women. And this is not to say that I don't believe Sabrina, especially, I don't know how I left this part out. So Sabrina accuses T.I. and Tiny of rape, kidnap, abuse, those sort of things, right? Shekinah, Tiny's best friend, I think they had a TV show together at one point. Shekinah does this video. I think her intent was to protect T.I. and Tiny, but she does this video where she was like, I can't believe Sabrina's out here talking greasy about T.I. and Tiny when she's fucked them both. As a matter of fact, she used to recruit for them. I watched that video and I was like, oh, did she kind of fall out with, with Tiny and T.I.? Because she's throwing them under the goddamn bus. She came back later with another video and was like, yeah, I was just talking. I really don't know. This guy had told me and I was just repeating. And when Tiny and Sabrina were friends, I was just the hairdresser. I wasn't friends with Tiny yet. So I don't know about that. It's like trying to walk the whole thing back. I was like, you're a dumbass guy on the internet. You at least confirm the threesomes and such. Because people were like, that's wild. That's crazy. This whole thing is made up. And then you confirm half the story. So it's like, well, is the other half true too? And recruit is such an interesting word. Like I was like, do you have to recruit people when it's consensual? And a friend pointed out that that's a common, that recruit is a common word when a couple is seeking a third or a fourth to join into their sexual activities. In this context, recruit is not as sinister as it may sound. And I was like, oh, okay, that's, um, that's good to know. Here's the issue with the stories that Sabrina Peterson is telling. All the stories are going through her. And at this point, it's a he said, she said. I think T.I. hates women. I think he's incredibly misogynistic. I also don't think that being a misogynist also makes you a rapist, kidnapper, predator. So she's made this accusation. He's denied the accusation while also in his eight minute video kind of confirming that like, yeah, we swing. What we do in our bedroom is our business, which it is when everyone's sober and consenting and can leave when they want. I say all that to say, I don't know. I don't, I don't know who to believe here. I wish other women would publicly come forward or even anonymously come forward, but not going through Sabrina because the idea that people could be sending her fake stories is valid. The idea that she could be making up these texts herself and posting them to her page could be valid. I don't think that's likely though. She would have to be a level of fucking crazy. I can't even imagine to be doing that. So did what she said happen to her happen? I'll give her the benefit of the doubt there. But the other women, it's hard to believe them because all it is is text messages and it's becoming public through one of the accusers. I'm willing to look at him sideways, which I was already doing. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to squint now, but I really don't know if he's guilty of what he's being accused of. I don't know. Did he do it to one person? Probably. Did he do it to all these people? I don't know. We'll see how this story develops because I don't think it has gone away. Oh, one more thing I wanted to mention. I was on Clubhouse last night. I was in this group. What's the name of this group? It's bearded black men reading to you before bed. And when I logged on, it was this beautiful, bassy voiced man. He was reading the lyrics to try a little tenderness. It was so melodic and wonderful. It was just very like, it was very, um, what's the, um, what's the porn thing? AMSR? This is so sad. I only know this term from porn. I know it's other uses, but it has about the same, but it has about the same effect. So when I logged on at like 11 PM East coast time, it was very, um, romantic reads. So like, again, like try a little tenderness, think Motown lyrics, love songs, things like that. Around like 11.57, they were like, it's three minutes till demon time. And I was like, oh, okay, like, you know, midnight. What happens at midnight? And they were like, oh, it's demon time. And I was like, what is demon time? I know the Beyonce reference, but I was like, what does it mean in this context? At midnight, they start reading the freaky shit. So it went from try a little tenderness to the pussy is mine by Miguel to when we fuck by Tank. And I was like, yo. I was sitting there editing Don't Waste Your Pretty because I'm releasing a second edition. Listening to deep voice bearded men read pornographic shit. It was amazing. These men are up in there reading, talking about it's big diction energy. <laughs> and you can make requests for what you want the guys to read. Somebody requested Andre 3000 last night and they were like, can you read spread for me? <laughs> but the guy does a read and the woman says, thank you, King. 
And the men respond, you are worthy. <laughs> it's amazing. They were doing another read. And like I said, I was editing. So sometimes my focus was on the screen and sometimes it was on what I was listening to. You know, how you're focused on one thing and then another thing enters your focus space with no context. And you're like, wait, what? So I'm editing along about moving in protocol. And then I just hear there's a party on my dick and you've been invited. And I was like, oh, my God. I had no idea I would like it that much. So I reached out to the folks at Bearded Black Men and I was like, look, Valentine's Day is coming up. Do you think maybe y'all could come on the show and do like a sexy read for us? Maybe. If you have requests of which you'd like bearded black men with bassy voices to read to us, you let me know. Don't get too filthy because you know my father listens. I don't want him to be like, is that who my daughter is? Uh, yeah. So, um, so send me your requests. And also February 3rd, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Log on to DemetriaLLucas.com so you can get your Don't Waste Your Pretty merch. It's on sale early to give you the best shot because USPS is on one to give you the best shot at having your merch in time for the film premieres. So you can wear your Don't Waste Your Pretty hoodies while you watch Don't Waste Your Pretty or read Don't Waste Your Pretty if you haven't picked up a copy yet. So again, merch on sale Wednesday, February 3rd, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. There's also still Ratchet and Respectable merch on the site. We've already gone over that. Mm. If between now and Friday you need some ratchet and respectable in your life, please follow me on social media at Demetria L. Lucas. And if you are not subscribed to Ratchet and Respectable, some people said new episodes are not popping up on their iTunes. But the people who subscribe, it is popping up in their library. So make sure you subscribe, especially if you're on iTunes, to make sure you get the newest episode as soon as it's available. Okay, I think that is officially everything. We'll talk again Friday. Okay, bye.